There have been a lot of great hockey players over the years. Legends, both on and off the ice. The Overtime Podcast checks in with some of hockey's biggest names and talks about what these great players are up to today. Welcome to the Overtime Podcast. Here's your host, Gino Retta. Hey, hockey fans. Welcome to 7-Eleven Overtime Podcast. I'm your host, Gino Retta. I've spent over four decades working the game, fortunate enough to meet some of the great legends of the game, saw them come into the league, watched them shine in the game, and now they've moved on to life after the game. The 7-Eleven Overtime Podcast gives us a chance to catch up, tell some great stories, relive some great memories, and to hear what they're up to today. Today, one of the most highly anticipated players ever to come out of Canadian junior hockey, six foot, 200 pound center with ridiculous speed and stick handling skills, 45 goals, a staggering 137 points in his last year junior. And that was in just 53 games. The Sens took him first overall in 1993, but the transition was a struggle. Things never worked out at the NHL level. And at the age of 25, he walked away temporarily. After two years away, he made a comeback as a completely different player. Now at 48, he's just recently released a documentary on Amazon chronicling his incredible journey. We're pleased to welcome Alexander Digg. Alexander, it is so great to see you. <laughs> you look good. How are you doing? Thank you. No, doing great. Thanks for inviting me. I really, uh, I really appreciate it. You know what time it is? It's time to crush your cravings with 7-Eleven Cravables, like their world-famous taquitos, fully loaded nachos, hot from the oven in minutes, 24-7 pizza, and the one and only Slurpee. They'll deliver it straight to your door before you can say... Hey, dude, have you seen my phone? Get 7-Eleven delivered fast, 24-7. Use promo code FREE7 to get $7 off your first two orders of $15 or more on 7Now. Download the 7-Eleven app. The documentary, and and I got to be honest, I didn't know this was coming out. And I I really want to ask you why this was important to you. It's called The Chosen One, Alexander Daig, a story of unattainable expectations, bitter disappointments, and later a measure of redemption. That's the way you guys describe this. Why was yeah. that an important story for you to tell? Um, well, first of all, the NHL reached out about a year and a half ago and said that uh, they pitched to Amazon a couple of uh, ideas about ex-NHL player stories and everything. And Amazon was really keen on my story. And from that standpoint, I was like, okay, uh, might as well be part of it. <laughs> might as well tell my story. <laughs> so that was one of the reasons. The other reason is it's a bit, you know, I tell people that it's like my kids, they never saw me play. They have no clue who I am. I'm the guy, you know, I had a minivan at one point. Now I have his SUV. I'm going to practice and everything. But they have no clue that I play that long and I play. And that was that magnitude, you know, Canadian junior, everything. So for me, telling that side was awesome. And my dad was at the end of his life, you know, had brain cancer when we uh, we started in that process. And so we got him at the right time. You know, he was still in good shape. And for my kids, for myself, seeing him on, t- on, on tape was awesome. So it was good times. And now that it's done, now that it's in the Canada itself, there, how do you feel about the way your story has been told? <laughs> you know, I was very, I was kind of scared a little bit because I saw the longer version, which it was an hour 15 and there was a lot of things that I was a little bit uncomfortable and it was an uncomfortable process because you talk about things 30 years ago that didn't go really my way at that time. <laughs> like, like the first, the first, you know, the first five minutes went great. And after that, you know, there was different issues, but um, I watched it two days ago with my, uh, my kids and they were all excited. 
and I was crying seeing, you know, my dad where I was. And it was very emotional, but for them, I was the coolest, I was the coolest guy. So I came back on top only for that reason. I was very, very happy. And, you know, I watched it and, you know, I said to myself, hey, you know what? I was a lot of those decisions early in my career were made at 17, 18 years old. So I was like, gotta give kids breaks. It's not that easy to go through, you know, that process, the NHL. And just to put that in perspective, I was in high school the year before. And now I'm traveling across America with, you know, with money in my pocket and with a great smile, having fun. But I'm still that young kid that doesn't know English, doesn't know a lot of things about life. And so I give myself a break when I watched it. <laughs> I'm, I'm so glad, Alexander, I'm so glad you brought that up because it's exactly what I want to talk about. I mean, yeah. I've been in, sadly, I've been in broadcasting even longer, way before you even got in draft. <laughs> uh, you still look great. I got to admit, I was surprised. Uh, I didn't know what to expect here. <laughs> I, lo I love the fact that you're lying through your teeth, but I'm okay with that. Feel free to do that. That's okay. <laughs> you, you alluded to this, and I want to follow up on it. Uh, nobody guided you back then. I mean, not only were you a young guy, there's still young mm -hmm. guys coming to the NHL today. But Alexander, it's completely different. It's completely yeah. different. Guys go through training programs of what you can say, what you can't say with media training. And uh, there's PR guys standing right beside the young kid. So as soon as he starts, they say something wrong. They grab him and stop the cameras. And and we in the media go, wait a minute, let the kid say what he wants to say. But no one was there. Today, they're guiding them and, and coddling them in a very real way. But nobody was there for you in that time, Alexander. No, but nobody had the experience to do it. I think yeah. I was—I had a good agent. I, I got to admit, obviously, from the contract, he gave, you know, he negotiated. But it was, you know, it was Pierre Lacroix. The first year when I was a pro, he went to the Nordiques. So that was, you know, that was uh, that was a big loss. But as far as media training, that was non-existent at that time. And I think now, if you look 30 years later, you see the teams getting more involved as well, because you're going to give, not just give money, but you're going to draft somebody in the top five. You think he's going to be there for 15 years. Might as well protect that investment in a sense. You got to put PR teams. You got to put psychologists. Sports psychologists became a very trendy thing, but it's been around for a while in other sports, like in tennis, they have that team around them. Well, yeah, sports psychology is the setting goals, making sure that everything is up here upright. And, you know, I think Wayne said that many times, like everything is like 90% in your head, but it's true. You know, you got to be very healthy here and make sure that there's no distraction and make sure that you're well guided because man, you know, you're 18 years old, you're going to the States, brand new team. What you're going to have your first apartment. You're going to be by yourself playing video game. No, no, no. It can't be that way. You need to be surrounded and, Obviously, 30 years ago was a different era, and it was not the case for me. <laughs> yeah, and, and listen, we you you mentioned it, and this is really worth stressing. You were a kid just fresh out of high school. I think, man, yeah. if, if there were cameras rolling and people writing down everything I said at that point, I would have been in serious trouble myself. And one of the, the one of the lines that infamously that you said was looking at the draft about you know wanting to be number one and why that was important to you. Do you mind sharing back the story of what you said then? And Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, no, I said that nobody remembers number two. But I was saying more into the moment that day. I was not saying uh, uh, on a career. I mean, I was, you know, when you're a kid, you're thinking 
you know, tomorrow, what's next? Well, okay, tomorrow I'm going to training camp. But today, and there's always that race. I always say that there's always a race in Montreal, the F1. And uh, the, we remember who wins that that race. Nobody remembers the second next year. You know, it's, it was very matter of fact for me. And, you know, I'm an easy, super easy going guy. And it, first time I get drafted, first time I'm partying HL. That's the first line that was attached to me. And 30 years later, people still talk about it, which is, you know, it, it, it is what it is. But media, you, you need to understand it quickly. And now you have that, like you said, they have coaches and they have those PR. And I think it's protecting, they're going to protect a lot of those kids for uh, from those lines. That And then, of course, what made it really difficult was the guy who did go second overall was Chris Pronger. And, well, we all remember what Chris Pronger did, and that made it yeah. And that was another thing when I was, you know, I went to the World Junior with Chris, right? And we won the World Junior. It was in uh, in Sweden. And everybody knew he was the better player and he should have been, you know, he was 6'6". Six, six. I don't know if everybody remembers, but 6'6", six, six, mean, super defensive. I think in Peebor it was like plus 90 or something. You know, it was like an amazing. And at 17, he was controlling the power play uh, at the World Junior. It's pretty impressive. And, you know, I was playing on the fourth line at the World Junior, you know, just to put you ahead, he was. And obviously he had a great career, which is good for him. Yeah. Um, I got to ask you about the the card show. You you did a card show going to your rookie season and you ended up in that nurse's outfit. How oh, did, yeah. How did that happen? Like what, what went behind that and what were the ramifications, the fallout of that? Tell our audience about that experience. Yeah, um, I was 17. It was before, well, maybe I was 18. It was just before the draft. I was, I didn't sign, I, I didn't have my contract yet. I was, you know, it, it was in between. And that was a commercial of where Alex will go. Will he go to San Jose, Ottawa, whatever. And so they put me in different, you know, in a, uh, I think it was like a firefighter. You know, they had different type of work jobs and where is it going to end up. And one of the, them was a nurse uniform. So for me, I'm at that photo shoot by myself. <laughs> like, they gave me a hundred grand. I remember a score gave me a hundred grand. So it's a lot of money. I had no money. You know, you come from junior, you have zero. Obviously, you make a hundred bucks a week. So that was a big check. I said, yeah, man, I'll do it. So I'm going there. There's no PR. There's no, you know, you're not proofing the, the, the pictures. It was done. And it came out about the same time as the draft. Obviously, that was that was the thing, right? And uh, to this day, people still talk about it, and and that's what I told in the in the doc is like, you set up a kid with three or four of those things, like no media training. So that quote from uh, Chris, um, and you have the the nurse uniform. After that, we sign another deal with a company called Jofa at the time. Obviously, you know Jofa. And Mario had that helmet. I had the helmet. And Vincent Blanfus had the helmet. The ugliest helmet ever. So I'm before I started in the league, and I put 91 on my back, which I had junior. But they gave me that because I was first overall in junior as well. But they um, one of the guys had number eight. But anyway, I kept it. But you put all those things. But at that time, 30 years ago, you had Mario at 66, Wayne at 99, and you had Paul Coffey at 77, and you had Eric at 88. That was it, right? And you put yourself, so you put all those four or five things and, you know, you tried just to make into the league 30 years ago. There was no Facebook, no Instagram. And that was none of that. You had to make your way into a men's league. You're 18 and you come out swinging like this. 
It was a bad combination. <laughs> Gotta tell you, man, I am so appreciative. No, but I'm so appreciative of how honest you are about this because you you really you really got thrown into the wolves at that point without any protection. I mean, in, in fairness, it wasn't like people were neglecting you. We just didn't understand. No, no, no. We didn't right. understand the impact that could happen on a young guy like you at that point. Uh you know, it took me years to really, really put all those pieces together and said, okay, you know what, because me, you know, arriving there and, you know, another layer that people forget, Ottawa was a brand new team in Canada and it's speaking French and English, which is, you know, that was one of the reasons that I was over first overall because of the location, it was a no brainer for them. And so doing all those interviewing back and forth, I was the only guy in front and I loved it at the beginning because, you know, you're young and you get all this attention. But when you, when you win eight games a year or 10, <laughs> those interviews are not very positive every day. So, you know, it does on you, but you know, at the end of the day, it was a great ride. I was very fortunate. It shaped my life and shaped who I became. So nothing to say. It's just, I don't want to sound negative and not appreciative. It's just the way it was, and that's the way I lived it. And hey, this is what it is. I got to tell you, though, you're not coming across sounding negative or unappreciative at all. You're not at okay. all. Like you're basically just saying this is this is the way it unfolded. And I, and I got to tell you, you're a class guy to be able to step back now years after the fact and say, I want to tell my story. Good for you on that. And And just to point out, when you went through this, Everybody stood back and said, we need to make changes because this is not fair. And one of the big changes was the draft lottery because everybody knew the Sens were tanking because they wanted to get you first overall, which right. understandable for the organization, but then that puts a ridiculous amount of pressure on you. You also talked about your contract. You signed the biggest contract in NHL history at that point, over $12 million as a rookie. Since then, we, we, we you can't tank anymore because they have the draft lottery. And now we've got the rookie salary cap. So the guys can't come in and have these enormous, ridiculous, overstated expectations. So they changed that rule. So they changed the draft lottery. They changed the rookie salary cap. Do you ever wonder to yourself, how much better off could I have been had these rules been in place before I came in so that I could have been protected by them as well? Financially, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but just to... Just to frame people as well, um, I got drafted in 93. Uh, Lindros, Eric was drafted, I think, in 91. He signed five U.S. I signed 2.5 Canadian. But the lockout happened. And that was 94. And I think 89 or 90, they released all, all salaries around the league, right? So that was a big thing. So all those they things. Huge. Yeah, so so for sure the owners and 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 you know the negotiation they attacked the rookies right away because that's an easy that's an easy game and it was a no-brainer. It made sense as well and I think it's uh it's only fair. To your question, I think yes because I think those contracts now they they heavily um incentivized. So you scored 20, I scored 20 and scored 50 points and I'm like all I would have made probably the same type of money, you know, if you look at the, the way they construct those contracts, but it would have been less of a stress and less of another distraction, 
Yeah. People talked about the money and how it, it kind of affected you. Maybe it affected you too dramatically. Like you sign as a kid, all of a sudden, all this money's coming in. But I thought it was very interesting when you tell the story about how you spent the money on your mom when you started getting yeah. Tell us about that. Uh, well, I come, you know, I came from a very, uh, I wouldn't say poor. I was, you know, we played hockey and that was fine. But, you know, money was tight. So the first thing I did, I bought uh, my parents their houses. I, uh, I got to uh, pay off the mortgage. So that was one of the first thing. And my mom was taking the bus to work. So I bought a car. And yeah, so that was the first thing I did. And after that, I bought myself uh, a car. It was a Nissan 300ZX. I wanted to buy a Porsche or Ferrari. And my agent said, Alex, I'll give you one advice. Don't do it. <laughs> first of all, <laughs> what are you going to buy after? That was one of the things. And second, I don't think people will look you the right way. And yeah. I said, okay. So I didn't buy that. Now, we should point out, like, while we say you didn't hit the kind of lofty goals that, that there were expectations because of what you had done in Major Junior, that's true. Your first, you know, your start with the Sens, you were doing okay. First couple of months, you and Alexi Yashin combined for 27 goals between the two of you, which was more than the rest of the team combined. So it really wasn't an awful start. Was it just because it was such a big gap between what people were hoping for? Is that Was that just unrealistic? 100% unrealistic. It's 100% true. Uh, just I want to go back a little bit on the draft. The draft. Um, uh, with the new, the new, the new teams. How do you call that? Um, the lottery, the draft lottery, or not the draft lottery? But when you get a new team, you know everybody expansion can draft. Protect. Yes, expansion draft. So at that time, the rules were different. You protect twelve players, six D, and two defensemen. So yeah. pretty much the players we had were American League guys. So you play every night. So that means when you're Yashin or myself, you're going to play on the first line or first power play. Yeah, great. But you're going to play against Lidstrom every night, against Sprunger every night, against Sindros every night, against Eisenman every night. You're not going to play much in the offensive zone. <laughs> so it's not, it's not that easy. That's why I think when you have a kid and you bring him up, uh, you need some type of uh, understanding that the expectations are really high. But it's not – yes, you're going to have the Crosby, you're going to have the McDavid, but that's one every 10 years, right? In reality, if you look at all the first draft picks, they don't do that well in the first two, three, four, five years, right? So those this is one of the reasons. And for me, arriving in the league that was, you know, it was a tougher league in a sense that, you know, still had the they changed the red line in 2004 thing. That made a big difference. The trap was in place. It was a it was a really rough league to play in and to be the first line, very tough. Yeah, and to be a young team, like uh, your point is is very accurate. To be a young team coming to the league, you don't have the depth. So no. every night you're facing the top checkers on the other side. So now you're facing the top checkers who are five, six, seven years older than you, NHL veterans, and you're a kid just coming in. It's kind of put you in a really difficult spot. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's something that it's tough to understand if you never played, but I'm trying to explain a little bit more. Yeah. But it's... You know, you're six foot, 180, no muscle on. You know, you're still 18. That's why those guys, I think they have an edge when they go university and have a little less stress of going to the pros. And the teams are happy because they're in the gym more than on the ice. Well, they're on the ice, but they play less games. And, you know, they arrive and they're 21, 22, and they're men. So it makes a huge difference. You know what time it is? It's time to crush your cravings with 7-Eleven Cravables. 
like their world-famous taquitos, fully loaded nachos, hot from the oven in minutes 24-7 pizza, and the one and only Slurpee. They'll deliver it straight to your door before you can say, hey dude, have you seen my phone? Get 7-Eleven delivered fast, 24-7. Use promo code FREE7 to get $7 off your first two orders of $15 or more on 7Now. Download the 7-Eleven app. The Overtime Podcast is proud to partner with Athletes Care, the preferred sports medicine clinic for legends in hockey and all other sports. Athletes Care is proud to be celebrating our 25th year offering sports medicine services in downtown Toronto. In addition to physiotherapy, our service offerings include massage therapy, chiropractic care, medical acupuncture, orthotics, and orthopedic bracing. The Athletes Care team consists of the best sports medicine doctors and specialists that have been responsible for the treatment of athletes at the highest levels of competition, including athletes from the Olympics, the NHL, NBA, and Major League Baseball. When you need rehab for a new or chronic injury or pain, go to where the best go. Athletes Care Sports Medicine Clinics with 24 locations in the greater Toronto area and Ottawa. I want to touch on something that that I had not heard before. You and I have known each other for a very long time, and obviously, I followed your entire career. Um, but you were you were quoted as saying there were times in the early going there where after a game you felt you were totally in burnout mode. That yeah, you know, out of the blue, there were times where you would find yourself after the game just being completely emotional and crying and wondering why, to the point that you feel comfortable. Can you share? Can you expand on that? Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. That was more in the junior, I would say my first season. I remember because it was my birthday and my mom and, and, and came for came to the game and everything was in Tree River. And I told her, I said, you know, I don't feel right. I don't have the fun I used to have. I said, you know, I think I need a break. And my mom right away, she knew it was, you know, need some um, psychology support, right? But at the time, it was 32 years ago. You know, obviously, my agent didn't want me to be branded, you know, just um, as soft or as, you know, that was a different time. So, yeah, it was, it was for me, the biggest thing was to reset goals. I'm, I, and I try to explain as clearly as I could is when you're playing Adam, your goal is to go peewee. When you go peewee, your goal is to go bandom. And that's the only thing you think about. And after that, you go midget. And after I go junior, and for me, going to the NHL was never my main goal. It was always junior. And, you know, it changed, obviously, with time. But because I played in Laval, I lived in Laval, and Mario Lemieux, that's the only I – never, I never seen the Canadian, Montreal Canadian live. It was always, you know, Mario and the Titans and everything, the Boisean. And for me, that was my idol, you know, for obvious reasons. And – when I arrived in the NHL, I wanted to prove I could play, but I couldn't never reset my goals, and I never had the help that I uh, to change that, to think that you know that that frame of because uh, you know I still play hockey, I still you know coach hockey, I love hockey, I watch hockey, but to have that little burning desire and and angle to really be the best and to be on your top in the NHL. You need that edge. And if you lose that edge, you're going to have a tough time. So for me, if I had to redo everything, I will get the resources right away to help me battle through that. There you I go. Want that. I want to talk about that. Man, I, I got to tell you, Alexander, it's so impressive to hear you talk like this and this openly. 
because I look at you're a thousand percent right. 30 years ago when you were going through this, we didn't have the NHL and NHLPA assistance program that we do now. We just no. saw Patrick Lyon step forward and saying, I need to get away from the game. You know, I need yep. to get away from the game because I can't do what I want to do. I can't think clearly. And and we've seen a host of players every year, five or six players who are publicly coming out and saying, I need to get away. I need help. And if there's that many publicly going out and saying that, how many more are privately right. getting help? How many yeah. one and one are, are, you know, are not getting to the point where Lion A did where you got to step away from the game, but actually just incorporating working with the psychologist on a daily basis, that there's that help that people don't have to get to that point. What's your feeling when you look back on and going, man, if only this had been there for me 30 years ago. Uh, what type of career could I have? Well, uh, not, not even about a career, but what could it have meant to you personally to have that kind of support? Well, I wouldn't stop two years in the middle of my career. That's for sure. That wasn't the big component. I didn't, you know, I didn't feel like it could function that well. It was not fun for me. Uh, so that would have been a different, different path. Uh, but at the same time, made me, you know, made me fight and look at other. I don't know. It, it made me who I am now today, and very open. And you know, you say I'm open, but you know, I'm got nothing to guard right like for me it doesn't you know it is what it is and i'm like if i can help anybody if it makes sense to somebody great but as far as could it change something i don't know it's um it's a good question that i don't have the answer and even if i rack my brain around it they're not gonna offer me a contract at 48 so, <laughs> so in a sense i'm like yeah i don't want to dwell too much into it but, you know, I'm trying to tell my story the way I lived it, and it is what it is. I want to get back to your your departure from the game entirely. Something that's important for audience to know is when you were just 25 years old, you just said, yep. enough. And you completely, you didn't just step away from the NHL. You stepped away from the game. It's not like you went to Europe to play in that term. You completely stepped away from the game. Walk us through how you finally came to making that decision and thinking, I just can't do this right now. Uh, I was with the Rangers at the time. Um, I knew, you know, my contract was over. I wasn't well mentally. I didn't have fun. It was like just a chore to to practice, play hockey. It was not, it was not fun. And I always, you know, I always lived my life in that way. You know, I'm, I like to have fun. I like to laugh. And it's, it's the way my dad was. That's the way I am. And so that's that's the first thing. So I didn't have fun. So for me, it was like a no-brainer. I didn't have any commitment. And I told Pat. Pat was Pat Brisson was my agent at the time. I said, listen, I'm just going to take a break. And that was it. That was that simple. I think the toughest thing for me was to tell my parents, especially my dad. Because, you know, my dad always been my, my supporter extraordinaire and super happy. I told my friends, I said, he never told me I played bad. He always look at all the bright plays I made into the game because you play a game, you're not going to make 100% bad plays, but the bad plays you you do, they're going to be on TV. <laughs> so, and for him, I don't know if he shut down the TV, but it was always positive. And he never coaches, he, he, he never played hockey. It was just, just being my dad. And just telling him was super tough. And because you got to put that in perspective 30, 25 years ago. 
you go to work and even today if you're canadian you talk about hockey on your breaks or you talk about the game yesterday the montreal and now if your son is in the nhl you talk about hey how was your and now my dad will go back to work and he's got to tell his buddies hey, it's, it's over because in a sense it was over i was not coming back and uh, it was a tough tough time for him so uh, we talked about that before and um you know obviously at the end of his life we talked about it and it was it was fine but it, it, you know it was a tough moment for me that was the toughest telling him then you you kind of i'm assuming that was a window then for you to take care of yourself mentally and from you said you had some battles with depression what what did you go through in that window what did i mean i'm sure your dad was there to support you but what did you do in that two year gap just to be i didn't have a depression it was very a burnout of you know i was never for me what i did is it's just I travel, you know, I never really traveled my life. I travel outside the U S and that was, that was a good remedy for me. Yep. Um, after that, I come back to LA. I was living in LA at the time because, you know, for obvious reason, I think Montreal and Canada, it would have been very intense and the weather is not that great during the winter. So I stayed there and Pat called me and he was, he had a, a league. Um, so I started playing that league at the beginning of the season and the NHL uh, all-star game was in, in LA at that time. And Daze was there and Tebow, two guys I grew up with yeah. same age. We played, you know, forever together. And it really, now that's how I started. Ah, geez, you know, you know, I still got a little run. I was 20. I just turned 27. I said, uh, so I told Pat uh, in June or something like that. I said, you know, Pat, I want to come back. And what he did, he did a great thing. He said, okay, perfect. He said, uh, let me call uh, Chelly, Chelios. Mm -hmm. And uh, because T.R. Goodman was a trainer over there. I don't know if they're still doing it that way, but it was a gold gym. And all the players that were living in L.A. all go there in the morning. And he said, I'll ask Chelly if you want, if, you know, if you can train with him. And Chelly was so gracious. Yeah, sure. Fuck, bring Daigle in. It'll be awesome. And, yeah. uh, but I didn't know it was like, uh, six or 7 a.m. in the morning. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> seriously, man. <laughs> Can you, you regroup? <laughs> I didn't know those fine friends. So, but, uh, but I showed up every day all summer. And, um, yeah. And after that, Mario, uh, Mario was making a comeback as well from injuries and, 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 and whatnot. And he said, yeah, yeah. Come in, uh, come in Pittsburgh. So I went for a, a pro tryout and, uh, I made the team. Which was awesome. Uh, how cool yeah. was it that you had Mario Lemieux, your boyhood idol, calling you back the game? That was awesome. And and Mario, we had Bergevin as well in there. You know, for people who don't know Mark Bergevin, but the time that I played to today, I didn't hear anybody, you know, funnier than this guy. Like, it's yeah. uh, next level funny, right? You, uh, I'm sure you know him. So it was just a great match, the three of us. And it was just it, almost surreal because for me – you know, step back 15 years ago, Mario was playing, you know, I was 10 years old. He was, you know, the superstar that he was, but he was the superstar of major junior, right? 280 points. Something like that it was like crazy. And I was listening. That was my first introduction and having him beside me, you know, pouring my, my wine and my cocktails and almost shaking my, my martinis. <laughs> it was just great. <laughs> you know, what was great was, and, and I was so thrilled for you. Um, your your 0304 season in Minnesota. Tell 
Tell our audience about that and what that meant to you. Well, I finished the season in uh, in Pittsburgh, in Wilkes-Barre. They sent me to the minors. Uh, so I was looking, you know, I, I want to still play. So Jacques Lemaire reached out, and I went uh, on a pro tryout again. I'm the king of the pro tryout, and I made the team. <laughs> <laughs> and and it, was, it was great because people maybe don't know this. 20 years ago, Jacques was like uh, – he had that tough look. It was like the the devils. They were like super defensive, the trap. And he was, you know, he was a uh, old school. So I met the guy, and he was not old school at all. Like he was super nice, very shy. And it it it's the coach that I'm telling my buddies that there's different coaches, right? There's coaches that will scare you. There's coaches that will ignore you. <laughs> you know, there's different type of style. But Jacques, it's not, he's a shy person and he will bring, I had one meeting with him. So you go and he tells you the system and he tells you uh, how you fit in the system and how you should play. If you play it that way, well, I won't talk to you all year. If you don't, well, the first time you don't do it, eh, maybe a period on the bench. The second time, yeah, maybe a second period. And third time, you're going to eat some popcorn upstairs. So you make your own decision, buddy. So for me, it was a revelation. It was so clear. And I played the way he wanted to play, and I had my best season by far in the NHL. And I really appreciate the time you've taken with me this morning, so I don't want to take too much more of your time, but I do want to say this. I get the sense now, Alexander, that through all the stuff you've gone, you're not a bitter guy, but you're actually at peace when you kind of sit back and look back on all you've accomplished. And you were talking about your kids. Your kids got yeah. to see what daddy was able to do. Am I reading that right? Are you a guy right now at 48 years old who's had an opportunity to tell a story and you're at peace with it all? Explain this to me. Well, I got to admit that process uh, because I never look back. I'm that type of guy. You know, we go forward. I don't look back. And it took me, you know, a year and a half for doing that project with the NHL and Amazon. It was like, looking back at all the, the good, the bad and everything and analyzing why, you know, what happened there and, and to be truthful, you know, to myself, okay, how did I act? Okay. Was I right? Was I wrong? And that's it. It was just analyzing. Took, I took the time to analyze and being bitter, like all the decisions that were, you know, of course there was some decision. I was maybe not having the best support system. Yeah, I get that. But a lot of decisions were my decisions. And when you got a brain of 18, 19, 20 with no experience, you still think it's the best decision you're making. <laughs> like yeah. everybody does yeah. that in life, right? But, um, you know, in retrospect, you look at this. And when I look at the, pro the final product with my kids, I was like, you know, I give myself a break. Like, seriously, I was 18. That was what it was. That was the situation. And, you know, probably people would have made a better a better career, maybe, but we'll never know. And that's that's my life. And you know, why being bitter? I'm 48, and I still got a long way to go. So it's all good. And we made the top 10 on Amazon Prime. So now my kids, I'm the uh, coolest dude ever. <laughs> you're the coolest dad ever with your kids, and oh, nothing else matters, geez. my friend. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Oh my gosh. I'm so happy for you, man. I'm so happy for you that you got to tell your story in your own words. And 
Wow, it's been great visiting with you, Alexander. It's been great. Do me a favor. I like to do yeah. five fast facts with my guests. Uh, sure. Where I just ask you quick questions, you give me a quick answer because these are things that maybe people have wondered over the years, and I can ask you quick questions. All set? Sure. Go. Time now to play five fast facts with Alexander Day, the best teammate you ever played with, and why? Uh, Paul Coffey. Uh, I love that guy. I think he's the, he opened my eyes to a lot of things. He always out of my back and he's so funny and dry humor. I loved it. All right. The best coach you ever played for and why? Jacques Lemaire told me exactly what I had to do and I had my best season. Who did you hate playing against the most and why? Uh, Eric Lindros. Uh, because I was so happy when I got traded there. <laughs> Because <laughs> uh, I don't know if you look at clips, you see Eric when you get the first face up, he's going to cross check you in the chest just to start the game, warm you up a little bit. <laughs> and after that, on the ice, he was you know he was a force for six, seven years. He was just dominating physically, and you know he was scoring as well. He was an offensive threat big time. Uh, so this guy, oh no, Eric, I didn't like him. <laughs> yeah. Favorite NHL city to play in, and why? Favorite NHL city to play in. Playing. Um, I would say there's two. You know, of course, New York is New York. And, you know, when you're 25, I had a great time in New York. But if I had to say, I like Minnesota. I think Minnesota has got the grip of uh, Canadian team, uh, Canadian city as far as, uh, you know, the. I think they had a, a streak of sellout. It was always sellout. You know, people are really into it there. And the university, you know, and to live the lifestyle is amazing for families. So Minnesota, for me, the, the, on the team that I played for. Perfect. Uh, if you hadn't become an NHL player, what career do you think you would have had instead? Um, I always say, you know, I would like stand-up comic. Like, I would like to, uh, you know, if I had the right, right uh, yeah, you know, I always like, you know, making people laugh. The only thing that I would say is I will need a lot of practice talking in public. Because, you know, that's a skill and, and having good writers around me because now, you know, I work for a production company. So the writers are key. Alexander, this has been amazing. Thank you so much. Right. for doing. I'm so glad things are going so well for you, my friend. Thank you. And uh, you look great, by the way. You look uh, <laughs> I was surprised because, you know, when you told me you're on the podcast. What does that mean? You were surprised. Well, no, if somebody goes on a podcast, usually there's no TV, right? So they have a, you know, they have a TV, uh, radio face, but not you. You're like, what? You don't change. I love it. You're a good man, Alexander. You're full of crap, but you're a good man. <laughs> Thanks for the platform. I love it, man. All right. All right good luck. Uh, good luck with the documentary. I appreciate it. All right. Ciao. Our guest has been Alexander Daig, former Randy Cheller, and now potentially a stand-up comic on the road. Who knows? The Overtime Podcast is proudly presented by 7-Eleven and Athletes Care. Before leaving the rink, order your favorite Slurpee, fresh 100% premium Arabica coffee, hot premium pizza and wings, a pint of ice cream, or even a carton of milk, a dozen eggs, local bread from the 7 Now app and Team 7-Eleven. We'll have your order ready for pickup 24-7. Athletes Care is proud to be celebrating their 25th year offering sports medicine services to both elite athletes and the general population will require rehab for a new or chronic injury or pain. Go to where the best go. Athletes Care Sports Medicine Clinics with 24 locations in the greater Toronto area and Ottawa. 
Hey, if you missed any parts of the show, don't worry. Visit our website at overtimepodcast.ca where you can both listen and subscribe to future shows. 7-Eleven's Overtime Podcast can be found on the iHeartRadio app, Spotify, iTunes Podcast, or any of your favorite podcast platforms. Until next week, I'm Gino Retta saying so long, hockey fans, and thanks for joining us on the 7-Eleven Overtime Podcast. You know what time it is? It's time to crush your cravings with 7-Eleven Cravables, like their world-famous taquitos, fully loaded nachos, hot-from-the-oven-in-minutes 24-7 pizza, and the one and only Slurpee. They'll deliver it straight to your door before you can say, Hey, dude, have you seen my phone? Get 7-Eleven delivered fast, 24-7. Use promo code FREE7 to get $7 off your first two orders of $15 or more on 7Now. Download the 7-Eleven app. The Overtime Podcast is proud to partner with Athletes Care, the preferred sports medicine clinic for legends in hockey and all other sports. Athletes Care is proud to be celebrating our 25th year offering sports medicine services in downtown Toronto. In addition to physiotherapy, our service offerings include massage therapy, chiropractic care, medical acupuncture, orthotics, and orthopedic bracing. The Athletes Care team consists of the best sports medicine doctors and specialists that have been responsible for the treatment of athletes at the highest levels of competition, including athletes from the Olympics, the NHL, NBA, and Major League Baseball. When you need rehab for a new or chronic injury or pain, go to where the best go. Athletes Care Sports Medicine Clinics with 24 locations in the greater Toronto area and Ottawa.